0: A Texan's View of the World with your host, Jeb Bashaw. Howdy, my name is Jeb Bashaw, and this is my podcast, A Texan's View of the World. Today's discussion is going to be a little difficult for me because I'm going to talk about a friend who passed away last Thursday. His loss is clearly immeasurable to his family, to his friends, and to me and my wife especially. So the topic is about death, but it was brought home to me by this most recent loss. First, a little humor. I read the obituaries every single day. Some of it is to make sure I'm not in there. Some is to see if friends or acquaintances have died, and some is, frankly, morbid curiosity. If you read the obituaries regularly, you know there are lots of ways to die. You can pass away. You can, quote, go to be with your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You can expire You can cross the great divide, and of course, you can always just plain die. I've written a few obituaries in my life, and none of them are much fun to write. How can you possibly describe the person's life in a few paragraphs? Moreover, how do you decide what's really important? Obviously, where and when they were born and died is important. If they were married, and how many times? Kids, stepkids, bonus kids, where they went to school, what they did. All of these things are important. One of my main beefs is predeceased by. But well, I think it's important if they lost a loved one too early. I'm not sure that a 96 year old person needs to mention that they were predeceased by their parents. I mean, the oldest person in the world is Kane Tanaka, who's 117, so it's safe to assume someone who was 100 years old probably was predeceased by their parents. My personal favorite is. They died peacefully surrounded by their family and friends. Well, that's always amused me and kind of irritated me. My thought is this. If I'm laying there dying, instead of peaceful, I want to be screaming, Hey, I'm dying here. Can someone do something? Then, of course, in the obituary, you get their vocation and their avocation, where they worked, what they did, what clubs they belonged to, where they traveled. There's usually a mention of their dog or cat. In short, I recommend writing your own obituary right now. That way your family doesn't have to fool with it. And if anyone's feelings get hurt, it's the dead person's fault. Not a lingering, long, drawn-out issue between siblings, cousins, etc. And I'd update it regularly. That's because some things change constantly. When I was in first grade, I had a best friend. And in second grade, and so on. By the time you're in your 50s and 60s, you don't have best friends. You have a small group of friends. Usually the wives are friends with the wives, and the husbands are friends with the husbands. It's why I've always said as life moves forward, you go from best friends to high school mates, to fraternity brothers, to work friends, and all of them don't know it, but they're actually auditioning to be a future pallbearer. I always thought if I could just have six good friends who would stand by me and my family at the end, that would be good enough for me. My friend that died last week is one of those six men in my life. But why is death such a mystery? After all these years, we have all suffered a loss, and there seems to be a patois or a common refrain, something like, or my favorite one is when you say to someone, did you hear old Joe died last week? And the person quickly responds, oh, my God, I just saw him two weeks ago, as though that had something to do with his living or dying. Or is it a blank of denial that the person had anything to do with it, as in, well, he was alive when I last saw him, My other favorite thing is how we assign values, our human values, and human time to the loss. If they are young, we say, boy, he was so young, taken too early. They are older in their 80s or 90s, we say, oh, they lived a full life. Another one is, I was surprised she was the least expected one to die, as though we all maintain a constant list of expected and unexpected deaths among our friends and family. And those people miraculously move up and down on this master list we maintain in our hearts and minds based on our own personal merit system. As an example, you get demerits for things like being overweight, smoking, poor choices in spouses and friends, how nice they are to you at the company picnic. You get plus accolades for being fit, being a good little league coach, dining choices, and willingness to invite you on a paid-for vacation with their family. Frankly, it would all require an IBM mainframe to keep up with this scoring system. On top of that, with 7 billion people on the planet, we would all have our own system. Is there a way we could amalgamate all the scores and come up with a date of death for each of our friends and family? Of course not. It's not in our hands. It's in God's hands. God doesn't operate off a Gregorian calendar. He doesn't know or care that my dad died on February 26, 1970, unless it's important to me. He doesn't know or care that my dad died at age 42. In God's time, there are no seasons. Those are man's attempts to make some sense of the things that happen, just as I did when my dear friend died last Thursday. So let me go ahead and get it out of my system in no particular order. These are my first thoughts disbelief. How could it happen to him? He was so fit. He had his whole life ahead of him. He had so much to live for. He was so happy. He loved his wife and daughters. We had just spent two nights with him and his wife last month at our ranches. He actually had a car on order. We were planning to go on to Santa Fe with he and his wife. Honestly, those are all the things we do and say to cope with a loss of this magnitude at this time in our lives. Of course, when you think about it, what's the opposite? I knew it would happen to him. He had a full life. I'm not surprised. Probably better off. We rarely say those things about anyone, but it would seem in a binary world those are the choices. I actually have taken solace in his wife and family's incredible embracing of his death. Are they sad? Of course. Will they miss him? Perhaps more than they will ever know. But their faith has given them a peace that I have rarely seen. They have given me strength, my wife and I strength, when we should be the ones shouldering for them. Sadly and happily, we all have a plan. I believe we are by nature optimists. Interestingly, God has a plan, too. Most of the time, those things don't mesh very well. As the old saying goes, if you want to see if God has a sense of humor, tell him your five-year plan. So while my wife and I had a five-year plan to spend with our friends and a 10-year plan and a 20 and a 30, that plan has now been inexorably changed forever. Not because someone miscalculated or did something wrong or we made a bad decision. Ultimately, it was because God wanted my friend in heaven In God's time and not our time. In Jesus Calling, one of my favorite daytime missiles, the author writes, Understanding will never bring you peace. That's why I've instructed you to trust in me, not in your understanding. Human beings have a voracious appetite for trying to figure things out in order to gain a mastery over their lives. In Proverbs, it's written, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and make your path straight. COVID-19 has given us all a chance to reflect. What are the important things in life? How do we make the path straight? Who are the important people? Some are great, some are toxic, some are worth trying to mend fences with, and frankly, some just aren't. There have been a multitude of studies done, and the question is always the same. If you had a chance to know the exact date you were going to die, would you want to know? Or put differently, if you had your choice of getting cancer and saying goodbye over an extended period of time, or being hit by a truck or having a heart attack and dying instantly, which would you want? It's always interesting to see the responses and by the groups that say them. Doctors give a doctor answer. I'd like to have a chance to say goodbye, but not be in any pain. Engineers say, I would like to know the exact day, the exact minute, so I can plan ahead. There's even a story about a lawyer who died and was shown to heaven. St. Peter took him to the largest mansion in heaven. The lawyer laughed and said, this must be some kind of joke. I'm sure you get other lawyers in here, in heaven. Peter smiled and said, actually, we do. but We've never gotten a 130-year-old lawyer in here. The lawyer looked perplexed and said, I'm only 70 years of age. Peter now looked concerned. 70 years of age, you say? That can't be right. We totaled your billable hours, and we thought you were 130 years old. So you see, everything in our life we try to measure—our weight, our height, our college test scores, how much money we make, how big our house is, etc. It's an endless game of keeping up with the Joneses. I'm not saying that's wrong. I'm actually saying that is human nature. It's what separates us from God, and it's what keeps us, at times, from the peace He promised us. There's an old joke on their deathbed, no one says— I wish I'd spend more time at the office. So maybe my friend's death was an overdue reminder of what is important. To me, my friend had it all. He had a wife and children he adored, a business he enjoyed, a partner he valued, a fabulous father-in-law. He loved his parents and his siblings. Barry always had a good word. He gave back to the community. He was always generous. In fact, he and I met on Christmas Day serving food to the poor. We instantly hit it off. As he joked, it looks like we're both empty nesters, and this is what God wants us to be doing. We celebrated his 60th birthday less than a month ago. After the crowd had died down, we decided to go for a late-night swim, much to the laughter and humor of our wives and his children. So we sat there in the pool well after closing time. He said, you know, I didn't really want to have a big party. I just wanted the most important people in my life to be here. I tear up as I wrote this because I was so honored to be one of those people. And although our friendship was relatively short in my eyes, we had created a bond and a very special friendship. He had many, many friends along the way, and I was delighted to be one of them. So this thing we call life offers no guarantees. The older we get, the larger the expiration label on the bottle of our life looks. There's no overtime. When we lose a mom or dad or a friend or a spouse, it's final until we meet again. I've had great losses in my life. My dad died at an early age, my cousin at age 19, another dear friend at age 50, my first wife, my mom, and a dear Jesuit priest who helped raise me. And I'm not being modeling or hanging crepe as my mother would say. I'm just thoughtfully appreciative of all the people that have come into my life to try to make me a better person through their kindness and generosity of spirit and love. For years, I've thought about the sadness of the funeral procession, how everyone quietly comes into the sanctuary. It's supposed to be a celebration of life, but it seems anything but that. I remember when my dad died. In fact, I wrote a poem about it, and it goes like this. One thing I've learned in life, the first row is not where you want to be. As we gathered that day to bury my dad, it all became apparent to me. Since dad had been gone, it had been 35 years, we gathered again to say goodbye. Dark glasses couldn't cover the tears. This time it was my mom who had gone. As I made my way to the front of the church, that old feeling came over me. The first row of the church is not where you always want to be. I'm guessing this will be my last time there. Sitting in the front row is not where you want to be. I just hope when my time comes, there will be someone sitting there for me. So back to the question. Would you rather have a prolonged end of life or die in an instant? For me, it would be a hybrid. I'd like to have one last drink with my friends, one last smile with all the people that are important to me. I'd like to hug a little longer, double grasp a hand. I'd like to shoot one more quail with my dog patches and be joined by my best hunting buddy, my son Travis, or catch one more redfish with my daughter. I'd like to see Montana one more time with my bonus kids. And I'd like to see... One more Texas sunset from the back porch of the emptiness ranch and see the blue bonnets in Texas one more time. Most of all, if I had one day left, I'd like to have one last dance with my wife, Laurel, who brings me all the happiness in the world. So friends, I hope you'll raise a glass or hold a hug of a family member an extra moment. A friend or a spouse maybe one second longer, or a special person in your life this week. I miss my old friend. I know he's in heaven, smiling down on his beautiful family, but I miss him. As always, remember yesterday is history, tomorrow is a mystery, and today is a gift from God, which is why we call it the present. My name is Jeb Bashaw, and this is my podcast, A Texan's View of the World.